I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Today on First Lady and Friends, I had such a fun guest. His name is Michael Bonner from the Ron Clark Academy. He's a phenomenal keynote speaker and was our keynote speaker at our show up for teachers conference this summer. He works with students that come from diverse backgrounds in Atlanta at the Ron Clark Academy, where teachers are able to come and observe him teach and others in the school teach. Um, he just brings so much energy and so much joy to the classroom. It's very contagious. Um, the teachers loved him. Uh, he was so fun to be around. I can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. I have just a spectacular guest today. I'm so excited about Michael Bonner from the Ron Clark Academy, and he's also a keynote extraordinaire. He was a speaker at our our conference, our Show Up for Teachers conference this summer. Um, I can't tell you, Michael, like there was so much buzz uh, after the conference. We had teachers just light up. They were so excited and so energized by what you had to say. Welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it's I feel like a, a guest coming into your space. So I'm, I'm super glad feel like a celebrity and getting a chance to talk to on your podcast. <laughs> so we're going to have some fun today. Uh, some of your teachers were here at the Ron Clark Academy last week. Um, so that was pretty exciting to see them. They sung your praises. So we'll have fun today. Oh, thank you. You know, we're, we're, we're excited. And I just, you know, I couldn't get enough of, of your story and, and your enthusiasm and the way you presented. And I'm telling you, teachers were so affected by it. And so I, I just thought it would be really fun. You know, there, I know I have teachers that are listeners, but I have a lot of other folks that aren't teachers. And so I wanted to start back with, um, you know, you're, you're a total rock star in the education world, but for those that, that don't know as much about you, they will. And, and let's, let's go back to the beginning. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about your story growing up, your childhood, um, just some things that, you know, where, Tell me about your beginnings. Okay. So I come from Perquimus County, North Carolina, which is probably, I want to say, 15,000, 16,000 people. Um, very small area, very rural area. But I'm so grateful for my upbringing there. Uh, I have two amazing parents who celebrated 40 years of marriage about three, four weeks ago. Um, I have four siblings that I love to the very depth of my soul. And, of course, my nieces and nephews. Who doesn't love Uncle Mike? So they know <laughs> I love them. Um, and I grew up. In a, a very interesting area, I want the, the best way I can say it is Miriam Wright Elephant says, you can't be what you can't see. So where I'm from, you're only technically making it out either through academics, athletics, or doing something illegal. Me, because my family grew up or raised us in a Christian household, um, academics or athletics was the way to go. So I chose to do athletics. You know, I just so happened to hit a crazy growth spurt in eighth grade from like five seven to six two. Ended up becoming a phenomenal basketball player and had a scholarship to Winston-Salem State University and Elizabeth City State University because I thought I was going to go to the NBA, but I laughed because I ended up becoming a good team and I don't regret it. <laughs> We're so glad that you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, so talk a little bit about that. You've, I'm sure you had coaches and teachers and people that that mentored you and, and influenced you, I think, as we all have. But tell a little bit maybe about, you know, those those teenage and, and those those days in your youth and people that really influenced you. Yeah, so as I think back, there are a couple of people that uh, stick out to me that were influential in the community because 
oftentimes we think that the teacher is the only position that makes a change in a kid's life, and that's not the case. I have phenomenal teachers, Mrs. Lane, Mrs. Virginia Jones, Mrs. Roberts, my English teacher, Mrs. Dunbar. I can go down the entire list, but there were also people in the community from different aspects of life that truly made a huge impact on my life. Mr. Barry Ford, who had passed away not too long ago, was an individual who went to prison but came back and started a local AAU team in our county because we didn't have it. If I didn't go to his camps, I wouldn't have the exposure to get a scholarship. You had Mr. Donald Stepney, who was my uncle, who was also a deacon at the church that I went to, who taught me how to shoot a jump shot. You had Mr. Tony Riddick, who was a local businessman that moved from Atlanta back to the small town to invest in the real estate around 2008 time, right? So it's just different individuals and pockets that truly influence me and play into my perspective today. Yes, I can still play basketball. I beat my students all the time and their parents too when we have the games here. Um, but that humble upbringing, it gives me the pillars to believe in education and also allows me to hold on to business and see the importance of capitalism as well. Yeah, talk a little bit, uh, again, uh, you know, obviously sports was a big part of your life. I, I played basketball in high school. Whoa. I love basketball uh, as well. Okay. But but like that that sort of team aspect um I, I think it's big in education i i think you know it's big in our societies there's there's so much that sports can teach us you know we've worked a lot with special olympics and and how you know influential special olympics can be for kids with and without disabilities playing together like talk a little bit about maybe that you know the the lessons that you learn in in sports and athletics that kind of translate to to what you're doing now or how you influence your students yeah, so two lessons that stick out distinctly for me. One, it's just the understanding of knowing that collaboration is everything, that everybody has a different skill set, and you will never be the best person in the room because you never know what the job needs. And that's what I loved about playing sports because it taught you the importance of teamwork. You have to learn how to work together with people, whether you have the hot hand at night and you're scoring 50 points or you're not doing so well. You have to learn how to lean on your teammates and, more importantly, understand everybody's strengths and weaknesses because the reality of it is everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. So during that time, I think it was fundamental for me to learn that while I played sports, it taught me so much on how to work along with people. Even at the Ron Clark Academy, you get a chance to come soon. Um, every week we have about 500 to 700 teachers come from all over the world to watch us teach, right? And you need a strong team and, and knowing how to put people in certain places to make sure people have the best experience possible. So it taught me one thing. But the second thing, first lady, sports taught me that there are levels in life. There are just some people who are extraordinary at what they do. They are spectacular. They are incredible. And I'll never forget, I played shooting guard at Winston-Salem State University, and I started as a freshman. We played against Georgia Tech, and we came to Georgia. I'm excited. I'm from a small country town, so in my mind, I'm thinking, I want to score 20 points. This is going to be, this is going to be it. We get in that game, and I have to guard this individual who is my size by the name of Iman Shepard, who is an NBA champion now. And I remember going, trying to guard him, and I tried to push off of him. And when I pushed off of him, it felt like a brick wall. And it was at that point in time in my mind, I knew there are levels in life, and you need to learn how to respect that and look at that as a way of to continually get better and not from a place of envy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I love that. Yeah. And and not from a place of envy makes a lot of sense yes. when, you know, you come from a if, if, if you're not looking at it as a scarcity mentality and, and you're that in that growth mindset, it feels like, you know, you can learn from somebody and instead of being resentful of somebody that maybe has a skill or, or has had opportunities you haven't. And, and I, I just think it's, it's such a great way to look and it's such a great way to teach your students how, how to have that sort of, um, abundance mentality of, and, and to be curious about people. I, I love that about what you're doing, that you're teaching children how to be curious about the world around them. And I think that's a skill I feel like maybe we're losing. Talk a little bit about maybe how that, how that curiosity has played into what you're doing as well. Yeah. So the theme of my classroom, when you work at the Ron Clark Academy, every teacher gets to set the theme of their room. And the theme of my room is called the Vortex of Innovation. When you come into the room, I have the pyramids on the back wall, and then it wraps around to uh, cassette tapes and the T-Mobile sidekick and the first cell phone. And then in the front of my classroom, I have the Oculus goggles and the Google glasses. And the premise of my room is to teach my students and to model for them that the most 
well-known individuals, the most impactful individuals are those that are problem solvers. And how are they a problem solvers? They continue to be curious. They're constantly looking for little things they can fix, ways that they can tie their talents in to make the world just a little bit better. And I think if we lean more into curiosity, other than just focusing on a test score, students will actually enjoy the process of learning. They'll enjoy the process of discovering. They will enjoy trying to figure out, well, what gifts and talents do I have that I can actually amplify this lesson and content that I'm learning so that I can impact the world in a powerful way. That's my focus and that's my vision in my classroom. Can I create a thirst for them? They say you can't lead a horse to the water. I heard you can, uh, <laughs> you know, but you put with water, a little bit of sodium, right? But I just want to make sure I create a, a thirst for them um, with curiosity. And this starts with real connections and relationships, knowing who they are. Mm. I love that about relationships um, and connections. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, teaching is teaching is exhausting because you can't just come on to work and, and you know, do your thing and sit at your desk and figure, the, you know, things out on your own. Like there are so many emotions, so many problems, so many kids that come to you, you know, and, and are seeing the world and experiencing the world through trauma, through through, you know, hard experiences, through great experiences, you know, and, and all that plays into how you, they show up in your classroom every day. Um, I want to go back a, just a little bit before we move forward okay. and talk about, tell me exactly. Now, Ron Clark Academy is yes. is not just your typical school. It's very different. So I want you to talk about the setup, how Ron, you know, first of all, where did this idea come from? And second of all, like, how does the Ron Clark Academy work day to day? Okay. So uh, Ron Clark was teaching in North Carolina and he was trying new innovative methods his classroom, he ended up having like the highest test scores in his classroom for I think three to four years in a row. And he didn't even plan on being a teacher himself, which is funny how it happens. And he ended up seeing some ad about going to work at a school in Harlem and he ended up going there. Um, and that's where they actually made the movie, The Ryan Clark Academy from by him moving to New York. And he got honored by Oprah Winfrey. She recognized his book and the book sales actually began to build the first part of this building, which we're in right now. And the vision for the Ryan Clark Academy, our school model is no fear. Um, we want to instill that in our kids. Like we just said, the curiosity for learning to, to explore, to always ask questions. So that's sort of the premise of our school. And we try to tell people how to create kids um, to get them more engaged with learning in engaged ways by the content we pick, by the classroom transformations we do, by the books that we pick, by the, the field trips that we take. That's why I actually enjoy being here and we also operate as a training facility. So not only are we at school, but teachers can come in and see the methods and things that we do. They get to visit in every classroom. My classroom has a couple of stadium seats around it uh, that you can't see right now. But I like it because it's just a huge moment of collaboration. And I'm grateful to work here. It's so it's such an interesting model. And, and I, you know, I'm just I've heard about it and I've read about it and, you know, I've researched it and I can't wait to visit. I'm going to visit in January. Yes. But there is this that I'm so curious about how this works because they, people come. Many of our Utah teachers have been there to observe. I mean, I it's hard enough to be a teacher and a lot of teachers get really nervous when, say, the principal comes in and, and does some evaluations or people from the school board or you know superintendent come and watch you do things y'all are sitting there doing this like every day you have people watching you so like there's no like screwing up or having a you know like an off day i guess you i I imagine you still do but you kind of have to like be on your game like every minute because you have people saying like hey come watch me be an awesome teacher and learn how to do it and if i'm not being the awesome teacher i want to be that day like how does that you work? So, you, that, so I'm glad you said that. Um, I'm learning that oftentimes, whatever environment we are in, we can become accustomed to that. And the goal and I want people to ask themselves is what environment are you in? You know, what kind of people do you have around you? What kind of challenges do you have around you? Because when you're in an environment that is high impact, but you become used to it with healthy habits, it doesn't really bother you anymore. So, for example, with me, you know, when I first started working here, I was nervous. If I'm honest, first lady, I didn't have a classroom. I had to share a classroom with Ron Clark for an entire year. And that was intense because that's Oprah's favorite teacher. Right. Um, But once you get used to being in that realm and you get acclimated, 
you build a resistance and you build a tolerance and then you begin to become critical of yourself in a healthy way on how can I make my lesson better? Um, how can I connect with the teachers when they come into the classroom? How do I handle a kid behavior when I see they're about to break down and there's 150 people in my room watching this moment happen? You just learn how to work with it over time. The goal of it is to be gentle with yourself. That's why I told some of the teachers in Utah, don't compare yourself on social media because there's so many factors you don't see. But if, as long as you're reflective and as long as you're gentle with yourself, you should always be in a position to continually improve. Mm. But when you come, you're going to see <laughs> it is a constant revolving machine. I don't want to spoil the details for you because I want you to give your authentic uh, response on your podcast uh, once you come. But you're going to see that it's a it's the time of your life. Yeah, I'm so I'm so excited. Uh, I want to know, do the kids do the kids know when I mean, I'm assuming it's, you know, I don't know exactly the setup because, again, I haven't been there. But do the kids know that there are all these people watching Yes. how you teach so they I mean are they in mm-hmm. it with you saying like we want you to succeed we want you to do this or are they like I'm going to test you mm-hmm. and see like if I can if I can get you to mess up in front of these other teachers like what, what's the mindset <laughs> for the kids so it's it's honestly first lady it's all about how you frame the motivation yeah. um the quote I said at the speech that you invited me to and I'm so grateful for you the event I said you can't demand a withdrawal from someone you have never invested in so before teachers even come, we're with our kids about two, three weeks. Um, and at our school, you must memorize every kid's first and last name before they come into the school. We do home visits. So we make a lot of deposits before people even come to our school. And what I tell my students, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart because I love them. Hey, you're the best kids in the world. You're the best fourth graders in the world. You're the best sixth graders in the world. People are coming in to see how do you respond? What's the best way that the greatest kids in the world learn? And even if they may have had academic challenges at their previous school, which about a third of our kids have, um, even if they've had behavior issues at their previous school, which about a third of our kids have, by me pouring that love into them and propping them up, they begin to believe what I'm saying. To the point that when it comes down to me going through my procedures, going down to me teaching the lesson, I don't even call my students students in fourth grade. I call my fourth graders pundit, you know, this P-U-N-D-I-E-T, which means expert. Ask them when you come in in January, what does Mr. Bonner call you? And they will tell you, I intentionally build them up. So then when people come in, they don't even feel the pressure. There's no negative look. There's no negative comment that can be said to them because they know that Mr. Bonner has my back. And Mr. Bonner told me I'm one of the best students in the world. And y'all are here to see me learn. Hmm. And it works in a smooth way. Are they human? Yes. Are they still middle school? Jesus (laughs) <laughs> yes, they still have their emotions, <laughs> but I try to be proactive instead of reactive. I'm a firm believer in social emotional learning. I'm a firm believer in connecting with our kids, seeing who they are and beyond who they are, speaking to who they will become. I'm big on that. So when you have people watching them, they're like, Mr. Bonner, let's, let's rock and roll. What we learn today? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Let's talk about who these kids are. Where, where I mean, it's... It, it's private, private school. Yes, ma'am. So how do the kids get there? Uh, where do they come from, you know, in their lives to get where you are to be taught by Michael Bonner? Like, how does that happen? <laughs> That's funny because I'm, I'm just a regular teacher. <laughs> but um, yeah, so our kids apply from all over Atlanta and beyond the city of Atlanta up to Smyrna and Covington. Um, every year we open up the applications for incoming fourth graders for the currently inside of third grade. Uh, they apply to the Ron Clark Academy. And what happens is we have a select committee that looks at all of the applications because here we're strategically trying to find students who can benefit from a powerful learning experience. Um, the average annual income of our parents is around 33000 um, Students actually are on scholarship here when they apply because we are a nonprofit. So we survive based on the EXP days and the donations of others. That's why we call our school a community school. Um, but I love it because kids just get the opportunity to come in and actually experience a powerful education um, system. 
when you come here, I will gladly connect you to the people on the committee because obviously they don't let us know all the details, but then we will be biased <laughs> towards the kids that come in. Um, but I love the way it's set up because they strategically pick populations of different students from academic struggles to behavioral struggles. So then when people come to the schools, come to the classrooms, they can see a realistic view of a general American education system or American education classroom and how can they apply those methods in their classroom. Well, that's what's so unique and and really quite beautiful about this is this it, it's a private school, but you know usually when you think of a private school or a nonprofit school, you you think of of you know these are these are the affluent kids, these are the kids that have a, have had a lot of opportunities, and it's just not the case. Um, this is a very different model, and 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 so I think you know what a what a blessing to be able to provide that kind of an education for kids that that don't uh, you know, wouldn't otherwise have this opportunity. I would love to see this. I, I don't know. Are there plans to to open other schools in other states? Because I would love to see this in our state. <laughs> hey, well, listen. When you come here, I'll I'll let you talk to Ron Clark and Kim Beard and themselves. They are brilliant um, in every single way. Um, but like you said, a lot of kids come from underserved communities, so. When I come here, it challenges me on both levels. It challenges me as a, a man to have empathy and to grow and to better myself. And it challenges me as a teacher to try to figure out, can I create a lesson? Can we create a moment that will stick out to them? Uh, and it's not easy, First Lady, if I'm honest with you. It is a lot of long hours. Um, sometimes we're here from 7.15 to 8 o'clock at night. We, it looks glamorous on social media, which I'm sure you know. It, it looks great being the first lady, but people have no idea the <laughs> amount of work it takes, you know, to even just take care of yourself now, let, let alone the people that you serve. So um, when you come, I'm sure you'll be able to have a chance to ask about any expansion levels yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I would love that. I mean, it just is such a great model. Um, let's let's talk about you. You came to our conference because. We, you know, our conference is all about wellness for our educators, and and you talked a little bit about the exhaustion that you feel sometimes in the classroom, um, the long hours that people don't know about. I mean, I know there's a lot of misconceptions. I hope they're not quite as true. You know, people don't believe them as much as they used to. But the idea that you, oh, you know, I I would hear when I was going into teaching. Oh, that'll be so great because you know when you have kids, you'll you'll be able to be home when your kids are home, that, that kind of thing. And I think. Um, you know, my mom was a teacher. I'm like, mm, yeah, that's not really how that works. But, um, you know, there's you, know, you have your summers off. Yeah, that also does, isn't really how that works either. <laughs> so there's you know, a lot of misconceptions about education and what, what we do and what we don't do in the classroom and, and outside the classroom. Um, and so, I, I mean, I just talk a little bit maybe about that empathy. You mentioned empathy um, and how important that is as, as a teacher. A lot of us come into the classroom really, really with... Uh, you know, we we didn't we we didn't think we were gonna you know be rich and famous being a teacher. That was not you know why we why we became teachers. But it's also you know we there's a lot of burnout because there's a lot of um, polarization throughout our country that is being plopped in the laps of of our teachers each and every day in the classroom. So maybe talk a little bit of how you you. Keep that empathy that you don't, you know, get exhausted through all that. How do you keep from not being burned out? These are kinds of things that we talked about at our conference. I just yeah. want you to share a little bit about, you know, for teachers and, and, and others, how you show up for yourself as well to make sure that, um, that you're, you're taking care of you as well. Well, first lady, I'm glad you asked. So everyone that's listening to this podcast, I want you to hear everything I'm about to say to you. There are days where I cannot move from the bed. There are days where I am completely exhausted. There are days where I am annoyed um, because we all know that um, in the education system, everybody isn't as kind. Some people like to gossip. Some people like to talk about you or your students, and it could be quite annoying, right? What I want everyone to understand is that you have to figure out how to develop a system for yourself. When you study any person who is successful or who has achieved a great feat, there's one common theme in their path that you can find in every story, and that is adversity. What I'm learning is how do you deal with that adversity? I listened to this pastor by the name of Keon Henderson. He says, we have to learn how to go through things without letting that thing go through us. Mm -hmm. All right. So how do you even build that system for them? 
Well, you have to figure out and know yourself. For me, y'all, I have faith. I uh, believe everything I have, and I've been publicly saying it for years, and I've continued to. Everything I have is by the grace of God. But outside of faith, I go to therapy every Monday at four. <laughs> I work at one of the best schools in the world with some of the most talented co-workers that you will ever see. People that have been honored by President Barack Obama, people that have been working hard all over the world, doing different things with different companies. Um, I work with them and I have to figure out how to exist in this space and still be great. So therapy, God, having a great family structure around me, but more importantly, creating a routine for yourself that would allow you to recharge. So on days when I'm tired, like last Friday, I was exhausted. We had 500, 600 people at the school. I did a speech the night before in Pennsylvania. So I poured into people, had to drive four hours. It was a lot going on. I went home, got under a blanket, got me a nice glass of wine, watched me some Netflix and some sports, and I began to recharge myself. So on today, if you hear me, you are great. You are amazing. You can be phenomenal. You will do great things with your kids, but you will not do those things if you don't create a system to take care of yourself. Mm. Such great advice for anyone. I mean, teachers as well as as individuals anywhere that, that you know, every, every one of us has stressors and and things coming at us all the time. I think one of the things that I I do people always ask it's funny, you know, they're like you you must have thick skin cuz you, you know, and I think and I always say to people like that's not a thing actually. So if you're rude, it hurts. That's yes. that's how, that's what it, <laughs> that's what it yes. turns out to be. Um, but there are all of us have to kind of figure out ways to have grace for ourselves, have grace for others, and and find those strategies, which I absolutely love. I want to I want to pivot a little bit here around. Okay. Um, let's let's talk about the students. Now okay. uh, you've been doing this for a little while now, yes. and I want to I want you know what I hear from. From uh, from parents and and teachers everywhere is that these students are not the same. Especially if you've been a longtime teacher, mm-hmm. like you're seeing students show up in your classroom in a lot of different ways with a lot of a lot of different things that maybe 20 years ago we weren't seeing. I mean, sure. frankly, even my own children. Um, you know, I remember being a kid and thinking like. You know, we went through life and we heard the news in the background of our lives and we didn't pay that much attention. And now all of a sudden, like you're in your classroom and these kids are yelling at each other about different presidential candidates or different, um, you know, things they saw in the news or what a celebrity said or did. And these are things that just didn't exist 20 years ago or 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. What? What kinds of students are you seeing today? What are the kinds of issues that that you kind of deal with? What are your hardest things? What are the best things that students bring now? Um, and just kind of walk us through that, this new lens or landscape that we see ourselves in. Yeah, so you, you gave me a, a large question. So if I don't answer, <laughs> all though, please bring it back because I want to make sure I get all the points. I will say that I have noticed there's a difference post-COVID. Um, Boston Medical Center did a, a research study that showed that students are struggling with depression, anxiety more post-COVID. I'm not shocked. Um, when you look at the attention span, it has been decreasing over the years. And the issue is, I think oftentimes school systems aren't necessarily prepared to handle the amount of social-emotional problems our students deal with. The reality of it is that we want is that learning starts at the home, then they come to the school, and we're supposed to become a community where that learning continues to happen for the next, from kindergarten all the way to 12th grade. There's a breakdown at times. I, I will not disrespect any teacher because there's so many problems, First Lady. I, I know I have no teachers that are having to fight students with cell phones. I know teachers that are being assaulted with furniture by their kids. Um, there's so many problems. There are kids that are grade levels behind not because of that sole teacher, but because of the standards and curriculum and the structure of learning in that school system wasn't up to par. So we're at this point now where we have a lot of problems and we have to figure out how to strategically address them. And that's why I always appreciate you because you are being an advocate for your teachers in your state. And I told you, I have not seen that before outside of Governor Ward Cooper in North Carolina, which I was on his teacher board. You don't really see that strategic partnership. 
so I think with all the, the plethora of problems that we have, we have to figure out how to um, have accountability at the teacher level, the district level, admin level, have the community also understand their importance, because it's going to take all of us to turn this education system around. And it's not going to happen at a macro level where everything's going to turn at one time, like the Titanic. It's going to happen in pockets, sort of like what you're doing right now inside of your state. So your point about kids coming in with TikTok videos and presidential elections, you want to hear my honest opinion about that? Absolutely. Okay, so y'all, this is my thing. We can't escape. It's the reality of it. This in their face. They have TikTok, Facebook, Instagram in front of them all the time. And the reality of it is they're learning. The thing and the goal of a teacher is are you going to direct them to the right resources so they can learn the truth? Right. Mark Twain once said, I did not allow my schooling to interrupt my education. <laughs> We've always had this interesting thought process towards the school system as a whole. So in my classroom, I'm always thinking about education, the learning process. So in my class, if a kid says something about a presidential candidate, it is none of their business what Mr. Bond's political affiliation is. It's none of their business. My goal is, can I direct them to primary or secondary resources so they can formulate their own opinions? The scary thing about our school systems right now is we say we want 21st century global leaders. We want kids to be um, to grow up into politics like yourself, to be amazing like yourself. We want them to be leaders in the community. But what safe space do they have to discuss the things that they see and can be guided by a licensed and trained adult? Is it to be a slippery slope? Yes, like everything is in life. But what I do know is they will never stop watching TikTok. They will not get off of Instagram. I do know with Apple ProVision, the, the mixed reality goggles they're producing next year to come out next year, the technology is going to continually advance. We have ChatGPT. It's too late to probably think we're just going to shut it off. We have to figure out how can we work with their new world now. The same way when I was in school, they had us learning on major speaking, the home row keys and how to type. <laughs> That's right. right. We adjusted. They adjusted for me, you know, as a millennial. The question is, will we adjust for them? Will we teach them how to code? Will we teach them how to learn about ethics and morals? Will we teach them about artificial intelligence? Or will we act like it's just bad, not embrace it, and then lead them to it? And God knows what that's going to do. So in my perspective, they're coming in with questions. Mr. Barnes will try to steer you the best I can. And if the topic's too touchy, you know, just ask your parent about it. But for now, let's not discuss that in class because it may take too much time and we don't want to offend anybody as we talk about that subject. Mm-hmm. And 99% of the time, my kids respect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're smart. That was a lot. You know, was that's a lot. the thing. Like, no, it's, it's perfect. I mean, the, the kids that I see, you know, I, I, I do have a lot of hope. And like you talked about, you know, they are coming in. Some of the research that we've done here and that we've seen um, that the University of Utah president told me about was that we are seeing kids now with 15,000 fewer social interactions when they're entering as freshmen in college, yes. which is about three years worth yes. of social interactions. And so I'm sure if you're seeing them in seventh, eighth grade, mm-hmm. they are having the, the social maturity of like a, a fourth or fifth grader. True. Um, True. And, and yeah, go ahead. And I'm saying even if you add in the Tyler, I was listening to an interview about Tyler Perry and he was basically saying social media is sort of like a new drug. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You know, even as adults, we compare and we look and well, my suit doesn't look like theirs or their relationship looks really happy. They don't have the mental framework to understand there's factors that they can't even see. Yep. So I can agree with the 15,000 less social interactions. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, so that's what we're that's where we're at. And again, these kids are, are resilient. Um, they're they're brilliant. Um, they've got a lot of heart. And so I think us as adults in their lives, whether it's a, as a classroom teacher or whether it's somebody else in their lives, really being that one caring adult to, to guide them through this is, is really important. You mentioned AI and some of the some of the things going on there. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about AI around uh, around education and mm-hmm. what do we do? How do we how do we navigate that? Um, you talked a little bit about this in your keynote and, and how we move forward a little bit. Talk a little bit about that and what and what you're what you're doing. I think oftentimes when in America, just in the world in general, when we don't understand something, we automatically eradicate it. Wrong move. Technology is just what it is, First Lady. It's going to continually advance. Um, I'm personally a fan of Tesla. I 
they just released a video this past weekend where they have a robot called Optimus. And normally when you when you're normally when you have robots or STEM or things like that, you code what you want the device to do. They have something called a neural net where Tesla has something called a neural net where the the technology is learning from videos that are being input into its software. It's almost like it has its own brain. Mm-hmm. So it's learning how to maneuver itself from watching videos, not from someone coding. So the way this stuff is moving is going to change the world. For me, my stance for artificial intelligence is, of course, in classroom, there must be ethics. So for us, we changed our student handbook um, into understanding that you utilize this to write a paper or to only use it to operate as its own voice to create something. Well, that's not necessarily count because you use the software to assist you. We want you to see, can you do it yourself? So I think we just put healthy parameters around it, show them how to use it, give them examples when it's appropriate to use it, um, then it's going to be effective. Because um, when I think about it, when I go to Gmail and I type an email, artificial intelligence is finishing out my sentence for me based upon my style of writing. Yeah. And I'm a fan of, it's funny how we tell kids what they can't do and we, we do it ourselves, <laughs> right? So. I just want us to be able to go into the mindset of exploring. There's a lot of phenomenal teachers who are doing great work on how we can use artificial intelligence to our advantage, um, how we can use it to assist us. Um, but I always try to explain to my students that even though we have it as a tool, because I view it as a tool, it's always healthy to exercise the muscle within your own brain so you don't lose that. Yeah, you know, it's I'm, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I'm trying to figure out. So, I, I mean, I think about you gave the example of you know typing or or uh, you know learning those kind of skills, and I was even thinking about when my kids were little, and you know they were they were of course they were using computers. Um, we weren't quite when they were really little. We weren't it wasn't iPhones or anything yet. There wasn't you know they weren't widely used or they weren't developed yet, but. I was, I was thinking, I remember that my kids, especially my boys struggled with handwriting and I remember thinking, and the teacher's like, wow, this is, this is really tough. And he's, you know, needs a lot of practice. And and I thought, and I kept thinking to myself, but why? Like this kid's very rarely going to use handwriting for anything. Like he is going to be using a computer. So I guess my question is, are there skills like that? That yes, we want to continue to exercise that muscle, but is there a, a point at which we say you're actually not going to use this anymore? And why are we still learning this? I mean, I, I think about like AI and Chat GPT and things like that. Like we still need them to write, and we still need them to think about writing in the process. True. But is there a point where we're like, are are we done writing? <laughs> I mean, how do we how do we do that? Great point and great question. And you're, and you're more leaning now. This is where the traditional education system comes into question in general. Yeah. Right? Because it's almost as saying there's a lot of things that they may do or we may teach that they may not necessarily actually need. Right? And that's that's the whole point. That's why I appreciate you even exploring this topic. What skills will they need and what skills will they not need? For example, I just taught my kids latitude and longitude. We have this maps right here. <laughs> You know, my Apple Watch can direct me to where I need to go, but that's still a standard that they must learn and they're going to be assessed on on, at the end of the year. I do think there are some skills that our kids will continually need, and I think the creative process is going to always be important. But as we transition, as technology becomes more into play, I think our skills won't necessarily depend upon something inside of academics. Yes, they'll need how to write, read, and math. But what about emotional intelligence? Mm. You know, what about critical thinking? What about analytical thinking? What about debating? What about discourse? I think about skills like that, and I enforce those in my class. I can't wait for you to see them when you go to the school. <laughs> but um, I think skills like that are extremely important. But there are some things that kids probably won't use. You see adults talking about it all the time. We wasted time learning this while I was in school. And sometimes it shows. I'm a big fan of component of what about financial literacy? What about investing in the stock market? What about learning entrepreneurship? Every kid is not going to have a nine to five and every kid that's going to work the nine to five is not going to be a business owner. But shouldn't we give them that option to decide based on their skills and talents and, and what would they like to go into? So I think there's a lot of reform that we're going to have to look at. And 
it's going to be interesting to see if people will actually look at it yeah. and change it. That's the thing. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough thing. And, and, you know, as educators, we're all going to have to kind of, and as a society, we're going to have to grapple with what do we want this to look like? What skills? I mean, we basically have to kind of look in the crystal ball and say what skills are kids going to need because technology is changing so quickly yes. that um, – I, I think you're, to me, you know, I agree with you on the the critical thinking, the creative thinking, the curiosity, the how do you instill and the, and the emotional intelligence. I mean, as humans, yes. we're still we still have to interact with each other. Yes. I mean, I hope that we never get to a point that human to human connection is is you know gone away. And so well, I, it's starting to now. First, like yeah. like you said, the, the the social interactions, COVID. I wouldn't say created but it definitely assisted in us um trying to get us to learn how to connect more but during that time nobody really knew what was going on um so i hope it doesn't go away i think there's a lot of change that needs to take place a lot of skills that we should hold on to um, but the goal and when we get into these topics the goal is will states and different counties and districts begin to really take a hard look at what's really needed to be taught what's not needed to be taught mm-hmm. so I know this is a really big topic and challenge to cover, but I, I really employ or encourage people to please look at that. You know, especially from the position of if we're going to compete with other countries, what is what can we teach our kids that will have them in the best position to make sure America maintains and stays a superpower? Right now, I'm teaching my kids no taxation without representation. So we're we're talking about the American Revolutionary War, and we've transitioned to this beautiful place where America is thriving. But in order to keep thriving, every strong country needs a strong education system. And our education system can be strong once we understand representation, innovation, diversity, and the beauty of a community when it comes down to our kids learning. Mm, I love that. You're you're spot on. It's it's kind of what we're working on um, as a state. I will I will just go back to, to the social media just for one second. Let's um, do it. We we um, in Utah, I don't know if you're aware, but we passed um, two different social media bills that are holding social media companies accountable for, um, for targeting, uh, underage, which we consider under 16 kids. I I mean, I'm wondering what your thoughts are. I mean, because on our point of view, it's we've never done an experiment like this on our kids' brains where we've allowed, um, corporations to enter in a contract with like a 14 year old to mine their data and, and, and take their data from them. And, and so to me, you know, for us and, and we'll get sued and we're going to work through those, those things. But, um, I, I find a lot of parents were, so many parents were so happy. Teachers were thrilled with, with these bills because it, it really is saying like, we're not okay with you sort of experimenting on our kids' brains. I think we'll look back and say, you know, it'll be like cigarettes or opioids or something. Like, we we yeah. allowed that to you to look at these yeah. things. Like, we've let people smoke on planes? Like, what yes. the heck? You know? yes. So anyway, that's kind of where we're at social media. Are you... I mean, is that, I mean, are you seeing, obviously kids are going to use it. Obviously, you know, we're hoping to, to, to deter some of that and give parents back the, the opportunity to say, I don't want my kid on this and, and I'm going to disallow that and, and right. give them the, the tools to do that. That was, that's more where these bills went. Um, but what, what are you seeing as far as you think that would be effective? Do you think that's helpful? Um, how, do you, how do you see it? Well, I can say we know it's an, it's an addicting thing to be on. Um, if I'm honest with you, I personally, I have a screen limit on my social media house, accounts and I, I'm verified. I have thousands of followers, yes. right? So I even have to monitor myself because if you're not careful, your thumb will just keep scrolling, <laughs> scrolling. And then the algorithm has you, you know, you were talking about eating some crab legs and seafood. The next thing I know on my cell phone, I see seafood, you know, it's a thing. So um, I think anytime we take genuine steps to protect our kids, I think it's I think it's important. Um, I want us to make sure that we are aggressive in all areas to make sure we protect them from the craziness that's going on in society. One thing I do know is that we won't always be able to protect them from everything. Um, even as a, a reading teacher and social studies teacher, I know there's a lot going on in different states with certain things you can teach. But the reality of it is, our kids have such a far reach on what they want to have access to, it's, it's quite ridiculous at this point in time. Yeah. Uh, 
but the fact that people are taking measures to make sure that we are protecting them, protecting their data, to make sure we keep them out of harm's way, I have to respect that. I have seven nieces and nephews. I don't want them caught up or have their data mined for any negative situations or um, scenarios. Um, so I think as long as we're trying to protect our kids, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's great. And again, teachers kind of get the brunt of it. And so that's why it's always interesting. I get teachers all the time saying, I wish, you know, the state would do something to take away the you know, the, the phones in the classroom. It's just so distracting. It's really, really tough to learn when, you know, kids are feeling that pull and that distraction. I mean, my husband in a couple of his cabinet meetings that we've done, he's actually had a no phone, like literally won't let him bring him into the room because we know so much about the brain science, about how, you know, the attention you talked about. I mean, adults have the same problem. <laughs> yes. With attention, is this isn't I, just kids. In fact, they're probably better at it than we are. I can't tell you how many speeches I do where teachers will not sit in the first three rows. But I see they tell them students, I want you to participate. Yeah. I want you to be active. I want you to work with others. Don't sit with your friends. Don't be on your cell phones. We do the same things that they're doing. Like every leader, every admin or every CEO that's listening to this podcast knows that the people that are working for you or with you oftentimes do the very thing they're telling their clients not to do. So I would like for there to be some type of change. Um, cell phone is a tricky thing. I know because some parents may say, hey, well, I want to be able to reach me in case of emergency or some will like, hey, it's going to be a very distracting piece. I think it just depends on what everybody lands in the general yeah. consensus. It's That's tough. the least of my worries. Yeah. I'm more concerned about do they understand the content? Yeah. <laughs> and can they compete with other kids in other states or in other places in the world? Because I know other countries have social media bans and things in place like that. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough one that we're all going to kind of have to grapple with as we go mm-hmm. forward. Um, I just tell me more like. Let's do it. Come on. What's been what's been the fun thing you've done this summer? What are, what are your what are your hobbies now? What do you do to again? You you, you go to therapy. You work a lot, mm-hmm. but really? um, what are you what do you do to to just find joy in life? So honestly, first lady, this is the first year that I have actively chosen to do something for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Atlanta to teach at the Ron Clark Academy. I'm the first person in my family to move out of state first one in my county to have a division one basketball scholarship i'm the first business owner in my family there's a lot of firsts for Mm -hmm. me so when i moved to atlanta i didn't come here to play i didn't come here to go party or to be in the cool circle i came here to try to figure out how can i be the best teacher i can be to make sure i'm doing these kids uh, a a good service and providing the best educational content ever and for five years i've just been working Mm -hmm. just working traveling speaking working helping trying to raise money um, trying to do the right thing, trying to work with companies. This year was my first time sort of taking my foot off the gas a little bit and saying it's okay to breathe. Mm-hmm. It's okay to it's okay to do something for yourself. You you're an advocate for teachers. You stayed in the classroom after multiple national public appearances. Go do something for yourself. So I went to Chicago with one of my best friends, Jonathan. We had a blast. I love downtown Chicago. Um, just a beautiful place. I went back and forth to uh, home. I love spending time with my family. I went to a concert. I'm a, a 90s R&B lover, lady. So I saw Drew Hill and Silk perform when I turned 33 for my birthday. I had the time of my life, right? <laughs> I have videos I was watching the other day, just listening to me try to sing off key with them, knowing that I can't. But this year I'm learning to um, be gentle with myself, to know that I'm human to be gentle with myself knowing there's things I've done phenomenally well. There's been areas that I failed at, you know, but the goal of it is just recognizing I'm human and, and is my are my intentions in the right place. And this summer I've been focusing on that. Just trying to show love, um, trying to spread love today. We were off from our school. So I was on Fortnite for four hours with my students and we're going back and forth. They were whipping my behind. But I was trying. Okay. <laughs> love it. I'm learning to pay attention to myself and do more for myself and I guess that's why I admire you and want to give you your flowers because that's my desire. People often ask, well, don't you want to start a school? I do not. Mm. I envision myself like a, my friend Ellen DeGeneres or Tyler Perry. I want to just give to people. I want to create moments for teachers. And I create those moments by being blessed to go out to different places and speak and, and work with companies. So I pray that God allows it to continue so I can continue to spread joy. Mm. 
and it's sad that you say, what do I do for myself? And I'm still talking about doing for others. But yes. we're going to get there. <laughs> okay, I'm a giver. I, I got I got an idea for you. If you okay. if you love the outdoors, if you're if you're into it, like come back to Utah and not for a keynote, but to, okay. I mean we could do that too. Okay. But like Let's let's go to Southern Utah. Let's go to the, all the the hiking. We if you're a skier or if not, I'll teach you. We'll come out. We ski. You know what? You know what? We That's just got to come out. You, next time you come out, we're gonna play okay. here in Utah. Because because come let's on, this play. is the most beautiful. I mean, maybe besides North Carolina, but yeah. like is one of the most beautiful states in the in the country. Um, you know, we just we got you know Post Malone lives here. He loves it. Yeah. I mean, we've yeah. got you know we just so we we, we have. Um, a company that works with our school called Audio Enhancement. It's a microphone I can put on my suit and there's speakers in my room uh, for those that may have disabilities or just to improve the overall experience. Their station, their headquarters is in Utah. Mm. So every year we take seven graders to Utah for a skiing trip. Um, so, oh, hey. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out how to connect and we can go tubing together. Absolutely. We can, <laughs> we can sit around the fire and. and so I, will, I won't get on a tube, but I will get on some skis. <laughs> really? I, I oh, no. Tube. Like, people, people like crack their head open. I've seen it. <laughs> I, I saw, I almost cracked my head open on the skis. So I'm. <laughs> More, more power to you. I'll, I'll learn with you. Okay. Learn. okay. It'll be great. We'll, we'll have fun. Well, let me know when you're out We're doing that. We love that. Of course. Uh, Michael, this has just been such a pleasure for me. Again, we, we connected this summer. Um, just you're, you're a kindred spirit. You are a genuine human that, that loves people and, and your, your spirit just exudes goodness and joy. And so we're, we're so grateful to connect with you. And again, let's, let's get together again soon. Thank you. Yes, no, thank you for this time, for this interview. Uh, let's do a round two after you come so we let's can debrief everything that you saw. Um, I pray that all the efforts you do towards, you know, the teachers and your your campaign and everything with your husband, I pray continues to push forward. And I'm here as a resource as always. So Perfect. Thank you. thank you so much. Talk soon. Thank you. You can find more information at ronclarkacademy.com and you can find Michael at michaelbonner.com. Thanks for being a friend. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.